At William & Mary, we believe today's business education needs to be more than just innovative. It requires a legacy of success, a focus on teaching, an emphasis on technology, and a practical hands-on approach. At William & Mary's Raymond A. Mason School of Business, our online, part-time, and traditional full-time graduate programs apply these strengths to provide the experience necessary to help you succeed. Visit us at chatadmissions.com to learn more. And welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money behind our beautiful game. I am Kevin Day and over there is the Tyson Fury of the forensic accounting world, the top dog, the heavyweight champion, Kieran Maguire. How are you, Kieran? I'm very well, thank you, Kevin. Good, good. You're all chipper today. Look, you look quite chipper. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always in a good mood, me as a rule. Uh, I always get slightly worried when you look really chipper. Uh, now, coming up, Everton and their shirt sponsors. The price of being a mascot, the cost of a wrong T-shirt, and uh, our last pod on, on Monday was a bit of a sombre one because uh, we were talking about Man City in depth. But we have better news for another club in the Northwest, uh, in the guise of AFC Bury or Bury AFC. So we'll be talking about that. Um, hopefully, the start of a journey for them that started around about the same time as we did. So uh, fingers crossed for them. Um, now Everton, uh, we've talked a lot about Everton recently in terms of you know not yet existent stadiums, naming rights, all sorts. Now they've ditched their quite long-term shirt sponsors. Is there anything behind that? Is there any sinister reasons? Is it timing, coincidence? Um, it, it, it seems a little bit strange because um, they have a an agreement, a front-of-shirt sponsorship agreement with a company called Sports Pacer. Now, Sports Pacer have offices around the world, in, including uh, including Liverpool itself, but uh, they have uh, the big say in in Africa, uh, especially Kenya. Okay. Um, Are they a Kenyan-based company? Or well, yeah, bro- it, it's difficult to work out, uh, but they, they've certainly uh, got uh, significant representation there. Right. So and- they're one of those companies. I'm never entirely sure whether shirt sponsorship is effective because it's like we've got Manbet X on the front of our shirts. I don't know anybody who's ever gone to Manbet X website, and it's the same with Sport Pacer. You see it on the front of the shirt without ever realising what it what it actually is. So that's it. so it's an African based gambling company. That's right. And if you if you take a look at what's been happening in Kenya recently, I think it actually has been very successful mm. because the Kenyan government is now very, very concerned with the uh, degree of gambling addiction that is taking place uh, in its country. Uh, w- with the arrival of uh, smartphones you know, a decade ago, oh, yeah. it completely revolutionised the, the betting environment. And um, the, the government has made it now very difficult for people to use um, organisations such as Sportspacer back in its, back in its home country. Right. I was I was there for comic relief a decade ago uh, to see some of the terrible squalor in the Kibera, the largest shanty town slum in the world, and even then gambling was a reason. You know, people who haven't got anything are willing to risk it to try and get a tiny something. So men men gambling, always men gambling was a problem then. So with the advent of smartphones, it's got worse. But yeah, interesting that a government has actually seen fit to to take action to do something about it. That's that's right. There was an announcement from Everton that, um, with effect, almost immediate effect, that uh, Sports Pacer were no longer going to be their front of sport, front of shirt deal. Um, now, the deal originally signed was due to expire in 2022. 
Okay. So that means it had two seasons to go. Right. So, so it's unusual to break a contract mid-deal. Um, if you take a look at what happened with Chelsea when they when they switched from Adidas to Nike, that was mid-deal, and it meant that uh, that Chelsea ended up paying Adidas around about sixty-five million pounds in compensation. Right. There's no evidence of such an arrangement between Everton and Sports Pacer. Now, it could be that we'll find out in due course um, that some arrangement has been made. But it would be unusual, though, would it not, for a company like Sports Pacer to not have that in the contract? That, that's right. So there have been whispers. I can see by your face, I can see, literally see your antenna <laughs> twitching. The back, the hairs on the back of your neck. I can't even see the back of your head, but I can see the, the hairs on the back of your head. You've got, you've got a, the bit between your teeth, haven't you? Well, yeah, it, it just it, it, if it's been successful for sports pacer um, until this, this ban from Kenya, the the whispers are that um, sports pacer, as a result of what's been happening back in Africa, they've they've lost a significant amount of income, right. which has meant that they've found it difficult to uh, make the instalments to Everton. So the the deal is it's supposed to be according to stories in the press it's supposed to be worth around about nine and a half to ten million pounds a year so clearly that yeah that's a significant check to have to write out um at, at everton's last uh, general meeting uh, their their chief executive said that having a relationship with a sports gambling company um isn't ideal isn't it you know so it could be that what we have is that Everton are seeing this as a potential exit route where they can take the moral high ground without being penalised because they've actually spoken to Sports Pacer and they're aware of these potential cash flow problems mm. that the company has had. So therefore, both parties have gone their separate ways. So have Everton got another sponsor lined up, do we know, to take over straight away or would that be... Till the end of the season, I, I think until the end of the season, um, Sports Pacer will will still be on, on the shirts. Um, I think it was noticeable at Everton's last home game that uh, they they had Everton in the community as as their shirt sponsor, um, and the the Everton in the community yeah, scheme is absolutely superb. It's yeah, one I'd, of the I'd, very I'd best. I'd rather in the we country. didn't talk about Everton's last home game. Oh right, yeah, but carry on. Well, I know their their community stuff is very good. So um, now, under uh, I think uh, under most I think practically the Premier Premier League rule that you are allowed one home match a season, yeah, yeah. where you can effectively donate your front of shirt sponsorship to an alternative party, and, and I think most clubs uh, take this up with with a good cause. Um, was the timing coincidental? Uh, conspiracy theorists will say yes. Um, there's no evidence to to say that Everton won't carry on using Sports Pacer because, in, in theory, they, they must have been paid up to the end of uh, 2020. Is there somebody new on the horizon? Well, now we reach uh, the role of uh, Alicia Osmanoff, who um, he's he's the guy whose company USM Holdings they they sponsor the training ground, and they're the people who have paid for the naming rights uh, option to these to the new stadium which yeah. won't exist for another four years at least um so i think everton fans are, are hoping that that would be the, the choice because they are aware that uh Usmanov, uh, he he owns mail.ru and some other companies so we're talking some bit, fa- fairly big institutions he's certainly one of the richest people in this country at present um they would be delighted uh if he was to go and offer to pay huge sums 
for front of shirt sponsorship. However, we are now operating in the the post-Manchester City ruling era, and I think that the Premier League would feel obliged to take a look at the numbers involved to see whether or not they're at market rates. So can can this company offer £100 million a season? Yes, it can for front-of-shirt sponsorship. But what the Premier League would then do is they would say, what is the market value of that mm. transaction? And that is the only amount that would be allowed for financial fair play rules. It's all getting very complicated, as these things always tend to do. So why are the gambling companies... Uh, able to offer these sums it's simply because gambling's the biggest game in town um when when are people gambling and when are people who don't bet on horses gambling it's when football matches are taking place now you you rightly said that is is it man bet x yeah uh, our palace's sponsor nobody no palace fans will be will be using them but i can assure you in other countries and that's the thing yeah we 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 fall into this this football bubble is that you and i go to matches and we attend we say well none of my mates are doing it but actually we're not the intended audience Uh, and and the brand loyalty back home because all of a sudden if you are based in malta or malaysia or or whatever wherever the country is going to be it's our our gambling com- company from our country um, that's being represented in the Premier League and that instantly gains uh, appeal and brand loyalty back home uh, that timer you just heard is the one I set whenever a Kieran goes two minutes into a sentence that, that timer goes off and it also means that Ed's sausages are ready Ooh. which is lovely vegetarian sausages so you'd, you'd, yeah, Veg- you'd love them vegetarian yeah. sausages um, we'll talk a little bit more about the gambling aspect in just a moment but there's two things that interest me one from a marketing point of view which I'm not interested at all but if you were to ask me who was on the front of Everton shirt I wouldn't be able to tell you but I do know they've got angry birds on their sleeve so some part of their marketing is working better than others but if if Osmanov so USB holdings is that USM holdings holdings, I beg your pardon so the club would essentially be USM branded everywhere so the training ground is USM Finch Farm The, the new ground the stadium would be USM the kit would be USM. Is there not a danger there if you're putting all your eggs into one basket, even if you've got a good relationship with that person? That, that, that's a big risk because if, if he decides or if he falls out with the owner, that's a big chunk of money that's being taken out, isn't it? It, it is, but that's always a risk when you've got close relationships and you've got business partners working together. Um, I, I think in another pod, we're planning to take a look at Blackpool, where, mm. again, there were two owners that f- that fell out. If you take a look at West Ham, you've got David Sullivan and David Gold. You know, they have they have historic business relationships, um, as do uh, Usmanov and... Um, uh, Mashiri, uh, the, the 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 actual owner at Everton. Um, if, if you're working in business, sometimes you know that's that's part that's part of the deal. That's the way it goes. You've only got to look at what happened in Dallas when when the Ewing family used to fall out. That it can go terribly wrong. Yeah, that was fictional. Though. Does it? Can we have fictional families on this pod? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> We, we can do whatever we want to, Kevin. Well, I don't see. Suddenly, you're, you're throwing me into doubt now because I've never, never doubted anything you've ever told me. But now you're using a fictional family as an illustration of what could happen at Everton. Now, the, the gambling thing is interesting. We, we're planning a gambling special. We've been talking about this for quite some time. We're hoping to get somebody from Sporting Chance, and there's a, a scientist um, I know who specialises in the effect of gambling on on families. You've often said that the the reason there are so many gambling sponsors is because they're the only people who've got the money to stump up the Premier League what they want, Premier League clubs. So 
this is actually quite a departure then. If, if, if a club were to turn around and, and give as a reason for stopping a sponsorship deal with a gambling country, that company, their, their moral doubts about gambling as a whole, that would be an interesting, possibly pebble, that might lead to an avalanche from other clubs, do you think? Um, I, I think so. If you take a look at comments made by Richard Masters, who is the new uh, chief executive of the Premier League, he was quizzed on this particular issue. Um, and he was sort of, you know, as, as trying to be as non-committal as possible mm. because um, he, he's aware that uh, his members, half of them are being sponsored by gambling companies. What we are seeing is increasing comments from politicians yeah. um, along the lines of football and gambling shouldn't be working together. Now, is there an element of hypocrisy there where we've got other sports Sports, such as um, you know, such as horse racing, which effectively only exists to, to, yes, yeah. as, as a result of the gambling industry. Um, why why is one morally repugnant and the other one morally acceptable? Well, that's it's a very interesting point. I was in the Betway box at West Ham in the FA Cup thing, for research purposes. I have to say, but I was talking to a friend of mine, Mark Webster, a broadcaster. You know, and he he sees the other side of that because he he talks about the hypocrisy of people like me questioning whether gambling should be involved. So while it's legal, why not take advantage of the money that is available from these gambling companies? And when it's, when it's made illegal, then of course you stop. But at the moment, it's perfectly legal for people over the age of 18 to, to gamble. It's, whether it's morally acceptable the way gambling companies entice them in is another matter. But he does have a point. At the moment, while it's legal, football clubs don't need to feel that they have a moral responsibility, do they, or do they? Um that that's down to the the club owners um what what do they want what do they want to be presenting to the outside world mm. as what their club represents um smoking is legal for people over 18 yeah good point. um and um it, it's not that long ago where smoking was also acceptable and legal in cinemas yeah. and and restaurants and pubs and so on and i think one of the things I noticed when when I when I travel to other countries is that I've, if I walk into a restaurant and people are smoking, I think I've gone back. I think mm. you know, I think I've stepped back a generation. Um, how this is going to progress? Uh, the the gambling industry itself, I think, has spoken about having a voluntary ban in terms of shirt sponsorship. They've also agreed to um, know with what they refer to as whistle to whistle advertising during football matches okay but that means that they can still advertise before kickoff and after kickoff and if you take a listen to some of the commercial radio stations they are they are commenting on the match yeah, and um, they are of, also bringing up the odds yeah, in play as yeah, well yeah. um now why are they doing that it's because the betting companies pay the best best yeah. rates in town and, and you can see why that relationship exists i don't think it is fair to expect the industry to make a unilateral decision. I think we, a broader debate is is required, um, and the government has to show some initiative and leadership here. There was a time just to end this debate to prove that you can do without tainted money if you want. There was a time when cricket and Grand Prix uh, Formula One said they wouldn't be able to survive without the sponsorship of tobacco companies. They, they sponsored cricket's two cup tournaments, most Grand Prix teams, but. When quite rightly, tobacco companies were stopped from from sponsoring these tournaments. They found other sponsors. There's always other sponsors. And that, there probably will be a time, as we've discussed, when history will look back and say it was just as ludicrous to allow 
gambling companies to sponsor shirts as it was to allow tobacco and alcohol companies. That's right. And, and if we take a look at the numbers involved, uh, you know, if, if, uh, if Everton are getting £9.5 million a year from, from a gambling company, that's in the context of a business which is earning £170 million a year. Right. So, so we're, we're talking you know, 5 or 6% of total income. Somebody else is going to fill that vacuum. Now, they might pay £6 million instead of £9 by Everton going to miss three million pounds a year, well, well, nobody wants their income to go down. But I, I th- is it, it's certainly not going to devastate clubs in the Premier League. When we drop down into the Championship, I think it's more of an issue right. because the clubs there have, have much lower income rates to begin with. Admittedly, the sponsorship deals aren't as generous, but I think as, as a proportion of, of income, um, I think the Championship clubs will be more concerned. Now, this is a, a, a subject we get asked about a lot, and it's, it's, it represents a, a lot of outlay for, the, for fans for what you'd imagine isn't a lot of money income-wise for the clubs. And this is mascots, match day mascots. Uh, not long ago, my mate Chris, hello, Chris, Chirpy. His, his nickname's Chirpy because he's Chirpy. Um, he wanted, as his 50th birthday treat, to be the mascot for a Palace game which we approached the club and saw nothing wrong with it. The club seemed to think it was slightly sinister and decided that it wasn't <laughs> going to happen, but not before telling us how much they would charge us if they did. It's what it, it, The cost of being a mascot, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of money for a parent to spend, but it's not a lot of money. The club, the club can't be making that much money out of mascots. I know we've got 11 mascots now, and it's always funny when a mascot's taller than the Max Mayer, <laughs> which happens quite a lot. Uh, you half expect Max Mayer to walk out holding Gary Cahill's hand sometimes, but <laughs> it's it. What are the finances of it? Um, I, I think in total, it's estimated that mascots will bring in around about half a million pounds a year. I think that's split between the twenty clubs. So right. in football terms, it's not, a lot, is it? it's not great. No. When you then break that down on a club by club basis, we're seeing a variety of approaches. Um, we've got for some clubs. They don't charge anything. And, and all 11 mascots uh, are chosen from the supporters club. Now, that on the face of it looks great. But, of course, it, there's normally a fee to be a member of the supporters club. Are Premier League clubs included? In Pre- this? Premier League clubs, yeah. Oh, okay. I think, oh, Manchester really? yeah, United, Manchester City, oh, they, okay. they both do Fair things enough. of that nature. Right. Um, so I think that happens with, with quite a few clubs. What we then have is a sort of a halfway house whereby uh, a club might have eight or nine uh, mascots who are paying and, and you can be paying up to 700 750 pounds for um gold games you know sometimes sometimes the the clubs will actually as well as tiering the prices for tickets they will tier the prices um for the mascot so if your if your team is playing against liverpool it's going to cost you more than if you're playing against bournemouth uh, or uh, watford okay um so it could be that uh you have to pay for seven or eight of those and then three or four go into a draw and then there's a final scenario where if you want to be a mascot you have to pay and now some clubs um, say that um, if you provide your own kit they'll give you a discount you know, normally as part of the package and um, will be a kit uh, given by uh, given by the club for the occasion okay this next story I think is potentially one of the most sinister stories we've talked about even though it only involves one person in one club we we talked earlier a few weeks ago about, about um, somebody at a club who was banned for tweeting about opposition opponents, about Man City's politics. And now we've got this West Ham fan who's been banned for wearing 
a fairly low-key T-shirt, which basically said GS, GSB out, basically referring to the owners. Uh, he was ejected from the stadium and he's now had his uh, ban rejected. So he's, he's, he's back, essentially. He's had his season t- taken away. He's not allowed in the stadium. This, for me, is the thin end of a wedge, isn't it? This is something we should be worrying about, isn't it? Um, yes. Um, we, we are living in a country now where... Where the word freedom is now seen as a bad word, you know, we're seeing that freedom of movement is is now seen deemed to be bad. Yeah. Is freedom of speech, uh, freedom of expression, mm. also going to go the same way? Um, what what exactly happened here? And I was at the match concerned because this was West Ham versus Brighton. Um, one of the West Ham fans who was a flag flag bearer. So what? you know, at some grounds, yes. uh, they, they'll be waving the big, you know, the giant flags around. It's all part of the pre-match entertainment, and it happens, um, you know, when the team scores, which therefore happened quite a few occasions during that match. Um, um, and, and what the guy had done is that he, underneath his jacket, he had this uh, this T-shirt which said "GSB out, yeah. Gold Sullivan Brady," right, yeah. um, and, and that is one of the slogans. And there are badges which are being worn of, you know, of a similar nature by fans who are unhappy with the uh, with the behaviour of of the West Ham owners. Um, the West Ham made a decision when when they when they saw him, they couldn't stop him from waving the flag. Was that they were going to ban him for the rest of the season um, because effectively by wearing that t-shirt he was inciting others to behave in an improper way, um, potential pitch invasions. I think they went down that particular route. Then the landlords, they ultimately, yeah, West Ham are the tenants at the London Stadium. The landlords initially backed up that decision and upheld the the season ticket ban until the end of the season. Right. And there's always a further issue here is that if you've if you've lost your season ticket, are you guaranteed to get it back? At West Ham, like most of the clubs in the Premier League, have a long waiting list. So yeah, you know, this yeah. can be used as a vehicle yeah, yeah. to get rid of people. They say, yeah, you, you can you, you can come back now, but you're at the back of the queue for next year's season ticket. However, on Wednesday the decision was reversed again. Oh, okay. So you know, this this is good news for the for the guy involved, um, a guy called Cameron Robson. So he is now allowed to to attend matches. So he was effectively given a two-match ban right. by the club. Um, I, I think that was on the basis of there had been so many people supporting him um, and, and so little support for the club in terms of the decision that it had made that they decided that from a public relations perspective, they they, they needed to appear to uh, be the good guys or be the less bad guys on this. Or, or they had the good sense to realise that 30,000 blokes would be turning up in GSB out T-shirts for the next game, essentially. But it, it does raise two questions. I, I, when I get my season ticket every year, I don't... I don't read the letter that comes with it. I make sure they spelt my name wrong and they spelt they, they spelt Palace right. But I don't. There is a letter and on, on the terms and conditions. Now, does the season ticket only imply the right to watch the game? So, are there rules and the season ticket regulations at your club, Brighton, and my club, Palace? Will it specifically state we have the right to take the season ticket away if you don't comply with various yes. regulations? The, the season ticket belongs to the club. Okay. You are allowed to use the season ticket right. provided that you satisfy certain criteria in terms of 
the language you use. So therefore, people have been uh, ejected rightly for, for using racist language, yeah, yeah. anti-Semitic language, homophobic language, and so on. Um, and anything that the club ultimately decides is is inappropriate. So if, if you're swearing at a steward and uh, you know, some people just take it too far, yeah, and, and I'm all for that because you know, if, if you know, the, the stewards... Some of them go too far. We, we know that. But the vast majority are actually pretty good yeah, at, yeah. at calming down um, fairly volatile scenarios. Um, they're, they're, not, they're not well paid. Um, and, and the same goes for the staffing catering. So I, I, have, I have no issue at all um, because going to a football match doesn't give you a license to be a complete dickhead. Hmm. It would be nice if we could apply some criteria as well when we got the season tickets. And I will use this if you provide me with entertaining attacking football. Uh, but yeah, you can't have everything, can you? No, but, no. But, but so then, could my my fear about this? Could a club or a steward or an official, or whoever, take exception to a political T-shirt, for example? If if somebody was to turn up with a United Ireland T-shirt or a T-shirt of a political party, and the club decided they weren't a fan of this you know Steve Parrish is a big fan of Brexit if a Palace fan were to turn up with a bollocks to Brexit t-shirt on would they be within their rights the club to to prevent them entry um yes if 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 in the view of the club that it, their the, the behavior um had a potential to cause um any form of trouble right um then they're imperfectly entitled to do what they want um, and, and I think you know, there, there have been examples in the past where there have been protests. Sometimes uh, the clubs will identify the people who are uh, associated with the head of the protest and, and they will just unilaterally decide that that person is no longer welcome at the club. OK, well, let's finish with some uh, some good news. We started way back in our very first pod with the sad story of the demise of Berry Football Club and the evil machinations of Steve Dale, the owner. Now... The good news is that uh, Bury AFC have been given permission to take part in the Northwest Counties League from next season, uh, which I believe is the tenth level, tenth or eleventh yeah. of, yep. of English football. Um, it's a very good news. A, where are they going to play? Uh, where does Steve Dale fit in all this? And B, what are the finances like at that level of football? Um, they they say that they have found somewhere. Um, I've been looking at uh, FA regulations for grade H of stadia. Okay. Um, which effectively means... <laughs> How far down does it go? Uh, to H. Oh. <laughs> um, You're the only person who's ever read that far down, aren't you? Yeah. Um, that effectively means that uh, all that you need is uh, a, a box for both, man- both sets of home and away boxes for managers... Um, and a rail, um, okay. which which has to be filled in, um, and that's got to give at least a meter, a meter perimeter around the, well, you know, a meter gap around the I, pitch. I believe a man and a dog is also compulsory at that level. Isn't <laughs> Absolutely, it? yeah. And somebody who looks like they might be a scout for a bigger club—that's always compulsory at that level, isn't it? Um, yes, uh, but you also have to have some form of floodlights. Oh, do you? Um, so, at, at that so yeah. level. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, and and the floodlights have to be of a a certain wattage and so on because uh, remember you 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 will potentially be uh, uh, joining the FA Cup um, of course, so, yeah, so yeah, of course. At, the, at the at the preliminary rounds so um, AFC Berry and I think a club from the Isle of Man 
um, somewhat bizarrely, have been uh, admitted to the Northwest Counties. I believe there were 10 or 11 applicants. So these two clubs have been deemed to be successful. Um, I think what they will now be doing is... Uh, desperately trying to confirm uh, that they've got a pitch. I'd imagine they'll be doing some fundraising um, and trying to set themselves up to get the support of Berry fans. Yeah, I think it's also fair to say that this has split the Berry support to yeah. a degree because some people say by taking such an action, you're effectively abandoning Gig Lane and you're giving Steve Dale the opportunity to to sell it um, and to make some form of financial uh, benefits from that. Uh, so the Berry fans are not 100% in favour of this. Um, you know, the, 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 it has been a classic case, I think we've said this before, of divide and rule, yeah. but... Uh, they had to. They had to apply for yep. the start of next season. Now it could be that if another plan comes in and somebody rescues the club in the meantime, they could withdraw their application to the Northwest Counties, and presumably they'd pay a small fine, and and the club would would then start again at Gig Lane in some other form. Or you could have two clubs in Bury, which that would be the most remarkable outcome. If in ten years' time you've got two Bury clubs playing in League One or League Two, I presume then if Bury AFC do do carry on and, and become a Phoenix club um, in the Northwest Counties, like, this is actually good news for the other clubs in the Northwest Counties because you'd imagine that a Bury AFC would be bringing two, three hundred people with them and doubling the size of the gate for most clubs, you'd guess, wouldn't you? Oh, oh very much so. If you take a look at uh, FC United of Manchester, who, who have, again, effectively started out as, as a park club, um, you know, they, they were bringing up to a 1,000 fans, yeah. and, and it, you know, it, it was overwhelming. Um, and also, you know, in my experience, I, I've seen FC United play uh, in FA Cup games. Um, it's it's a fantastic experience, it, you know. For those of us who do have this nostalgic uh, view of football, it was very old school without the bad bits mm. that we remember from the seventies and the eighties. Uh, and uh, if, if you talk to people that go to watch FC, and, and they've had their problems recently, there's been a massive fallout. Um, I think those initial seasons when they effectively rocketed through the the lower leagues was was some of the most exciting um, that they can remember for a long yeah, time. I think AFC Wimbledon fans would say the same thing as well. That the first two or three years, I think, it was just an adrenaline fueled ride for all of them, amazingly. Um, whatever happens to Berry or Berries, we wish them all the very best. I'm sure every right-thinking football fan would do the same thing. Um, the Price of Football is a Dap Dip production. Don't forget, if you have questions for us for our Monday specials, uh, the address is questions at priceoffootball.com, and we'll see you soon. The Price of Football. Cheerio, gang. Bye, son, for the fall.